throughout this series um, that we are calling Road Trip, we're going to be doing some spiritual practices and disciplines to practice listening to God. And one of the things that I was just struck by listening to um, Jenny play the piano is how much practice it takes to become proficient at an instrument. When I uh, started taking piano lessons when I was younger, I was very bad at practicing in that I just didn't like it because I wanted to be able to do everything perfectly the first time. Um, And if you've ever tried to play piano, you know you're not going to play it perfectly the first time. You can't look at the music. I mean, some people can look at the music and just play it perfectly. I am not that kind of, I don't have that gift. Um, And so I would never practice. And my piano teacher, I would, it would be very obvious. You can't trick a piano teacher into thinking that you practiced when you didn't. And I would sit there and I would pretend like I practiced, but I would get to a hard part and I would slow down to like be able to do it. Um, And he would tell me that you just have to keep going. That was his philosophy is that if you, even if you think you're going to mess up, you have to just keep going and keep practicing until eventually you're going to figure out how to get it right. Or you're going to not figure it out and you might quit piano. Um, Like (laughs) some of us did maybe up here. Um, But the idea is that if you keep practicing, if you keep going and you're diligent and you have that discipline, eventually it will get a little easier and eventually it will um, become a little bit more like second habit. You see a lot of um, pianists that can memorize their music and be able to do it off of muscle memory and it's because they spent the time at the piano, with the piano, working um, those phrases over and over again. And so throughout this series, our hope is that we take some of these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual practices, and create kind of an internal muscle memory, that when you think about what it means to listen to God, you would have some practices um, in your toolbox. Throughout this series, we're just going to be bringing various ones. So this morning... Um, We're taking a turn on a practice called Lectio Divina, which basically um, means that we are going to listen to scripture and try to hear for something from God. And so we're going to take our scripture today. It's Romans 12, 1 through 2. And it's probably some verses that if you've been around the church, you've heard it several times. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to hear it in three different versions. We're going to use three different translations, um, the NIV, the message, and the passage translation. And I'm going to read through um, one at a time slowly and leave some gap in between the times that we read them. And in that gap, um, what I invite you to do is to just listen, to listen for a word that stuck out in um, the passage or a phrase that kind of tugged on your heart differently this time. And I want you to just be open to what God may have for you in those gaps, to pull out whatever it may be from these um, from these different passages, these different translations. Um, What is God trying to say to you this morning? So here's how we're going to walk through this, okay? So we're going to start. I'm going to pray to open us up. We're going to give a little bit of silence. I'm going to read the first one. We're going to give a little bit of silence. I'll read the second one, a little bit more silence. And then the third one, a little bit more silence, and then I'm going to pray at the end. So that's kind of the, the pathway we're going on. Um, and what I would encourage you to do is to just get comfortable in your seat. So if you're sitting too close to somebody or you just want to like have a piece of paper out that you want to write something down or open your hands um, to kind of symbolize in your body that you're open to the Holy Spirit, whatever you need to do to kind of get situated, take a second to kind of like scooch away from somebody. No one's going to be offended if you scooch away from them because you want like some alone time. It's totally fine. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to begin this practice. 
God, we know that you are alive in our midst. We know that your spirit is with us, God, as we read um, these words, as we read your word. God, would you open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to hear from you this morning. May we see you in a new way through these scriptures. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hear the words again through the message and ask for God to pull out a phrase for you. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into whatever to fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. Hear these words one more time in the Passion Translation. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. In this next silence, pick out a phrase or a word that you hear from God. God, we thank you for um, your revelation through scripture, God. We thank you for the chance that we get to see you a little more clearly through your word. As we hear from Pastor Colleen this morning, God, would you um, open our eyes and our hearts to hear from you, God. May we listen to you well, and may you speak through Colleen. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Usually after taking some time to do that kind of intentional listening, it kind of feels like we need to shake it off a little bit, right? Like, (laughs) uh, it's good to be together this morning. And uh, like what has been said so many times, we're in a series um, starting this morning called Road Trip. 
And uh, we want to give you some tools. We want you to think about in intentional ways where you're at and where you're going in your relationship with God and maybe some tools that we need um, for the journey. And here's kind of what I notice is uh, we get through kind of our, our school year, kind of more intentional programming schedule in the church, in the, in the um, community. And then we kind of hit summer mode and it's easy to kind of slip into this, like take a break from my relationship with God season, right? And so we just thought as a community, we wanted to be more intentional about saying, as we enter a summer schedule with new rhythms and new patterns and all of those things, what might God be inviting you to? It might not look the same as the the year schedule when there's more things to do, but God might be anticipating and wanting to speak to you in a different way. And so what does it look like to take the things that we engage in this summer, whether it's intentional rest and vacation or a sense of play, um, where will God meet us in those spaces? Um, just to remind us of um, this journey we're on this summer, we have these little stickers. Um, Alicia and I um, did a sermon illustration a while back with stickers that we had on our water bottles and laptops, and people started asking them for asking us for them. (laughs) So on the way out, our kids will be at the doors and these are those like latex kind. So you can stick them on a water bottle and they can get wet and they won't like put ink over everything. So grab a sticker, stick it in a place maybe where you're going to notice and you'll think about this conversation that we're in. Thanks to Nancy Mulner for working on those um, for us. Um, Now I love road trips And maybe even as we've said that phrase a couple of times this morning, um, what comes to mind for you is a road trip that you have been on. Um, So just take a moment and think about that. What in your head, what's a trip that you have been on, a road trip? Where did you go? Who were you with? Did everything go as planned? Did you kind of have to change your expectations along the way? Even as I say that, I see the nods and smiles. After the service, I'm sure there can be plenty of stories going around, right? Um, But I recognize that everyone measures road trips a little bit differently. Um, For me, when I think of a road trip, I think of like days in the car where I have to think about like spending the night places, I have to plan out my route, maybe there's someone I know that I'm gonna stop at their house to say hi, Um, I'm gonna think about maybe what snacks I need to bring, this is important on road trips, but road trips is like travel that you have to think about. Um, You might make a playlist of your favorite songs. You have to pull out your luggage or a backpack. You have to pack up your clothes and all the essentials. Um, Some of you who are new parents or have young kids, you're like, I have to do that just to go to Target, right? (laughs) Um, But road trips are for the long haul in my world. And as we think about road trips as a metaphor for our spiritual formation this morning, this analogy still fits. Because in our spiritual life, we aren't just in it for a day, we aren't just in it for a week, but we are in it for a lifetime. Um, I love Eugene Peterson's book. He has a great title that kind of defines spiritual formation. I recommend this book to you, but the title of it is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Isn't that good? 
We point our lives in the direction of our destination and we continue to show up each and every day saying yes to God and engaging fully in the journey we're on. And so that's what this series is about. It's about recognizing that we're all in a process of spiritual formation, that we're being shaped by experiences and people and events in our lives, and we're on this journey for the long haul, which means not expecting a quick fix or maybe seeking instant gratification isn't the reality that we operate in. Instead, we are about cultivating our lives in Jesus, and we understand that cultivating takes time. Cultivating takes patience and persistence. Cultivating something takes community. And we're on this journey not out of our own strength or purpose, but we believe this morning that God still speaks and he has something to say to us about who we are, about what we do, and how we live our lives. This road trip is a journey of listening to God and responding to what he says, knowing that his ways are better than our own. And so whether you're 13, whether you're 33 or 73, you know that to live life is to change, right? To live life is to change. Robert Mulholland in his foundational book called Invitation to a Journey said, every thought we hold, every decision we make, every action we take, every emotion we allow to shape our behavior, every response we have to the world around us, every relationship we enter into, every reaction we have towards the things that surround us and impinge on our lives, all of these things, little by little, shape us into some kind of being. We acknowledge that in our deepest part of our being is our spiritual life, the core of the core of the core of who we are. And friends, I just want to share with you some points along the way in my own spiritual road trip. And as I share these, maybe some of these um, relate with you in your life. Um, Maybe they'll trigger something for you to recognize that our spiritual lives are not always a straight destination, right? But they take a few twists and turns along the way. I remember growing up, I remember thinking that faith, it was about what you did, It was about what you did. It meant that you went to church, you signed up for Bible studies, you went to vacation Bible school in the summer. Get this, VBS was for two weeks. Bless those volunteers, right? Two weeks. And you tried hard at being a good person. But I remember on a high school missions trip, I remember seriously questioning if this faith that was formed in a church building could have any real impact on the issues I saw playing out in the world. I remember in college, I I thought faith was about experiencing God. And so I'd seek opportunities to feel close to God, and this was often through worship. And I started to find good worship was when I felt connected to God and felt connected with others. It was about a feeling. And then it was not good worship if I didn't feel connected or if things fell flat or if there was some sort of instrument during worship that was kind of out of tune. I didn't understand that worship flowed not from a place of performance, but it flowed out of a relationship. I remember in seminary, my faith became about head knowledge. There were classes to keep me busy. There were papers to write and meaningful conversations to have added to the reality of being newly married and in a full-time job to maintain. My faith kind of became lopsided. 
Working on my head knowledge, I started to shut out all friendships and any sort of spiritual community. It's amazing how easy that is to do in seminary. I found myself so lonely and so isolated. As a new mom, my relationship was more out of desperation (laughs) and many quick starts and stops, which in retrospect is probably the time of life where I felt like I was most honest with God, like I was paying attention to him in the midst of my day, not because that was intentional on my part, but just because there was no other choice. It was either going to happen that way or it just wasn't going to happen at all. But I didn't know where it was all going. I didn't know how that fit, if I was growing and changing or if I was just white-knuckling it to get through the day. And how we view, friends, how we view or evaluate our spiritual formation, this journey, this pathway that each of us are on in different ways and different shapes, has a lot to do with what we've been taught in the church and in our lives as important. And so just for a moment, I just want to give you a scale and think about this in a scale of zero zero through ten. This is going to be really pretty, as you can tell. And so um, in my life, I think, man, you know, I grew up in the church at a young age. I like I learned all the Bible stories, right? Like that will put me at least starting at a five, right? And then um, I chose to go to a Christian college. I even, while I was there, I like led some Bible studies. And so I kind of keep going up in my knowledge and and showing my love for God. I went to seminary. I studied like Greek and Hebrew, right? Like that's got to earn me some points. Um, And I kind of keep moving up, up the ladder there. But what if, like what if we started to rate our spiritual lives a little bit differently, What if we thought of it not as how informed I am, but how transformed I am? What if we started asking questions like, how do my thoughts, how do my actions resemble the thoughts and actions of Jesus? What's interesting is I start to move kind of the other way on the scale. So I think, you know, Jesus was generous, but I like cling to my stuff a lot. Jesus loved his enemies and I kind of give him attitude, and sometimes keep my distance. Jesus spoke out when he saw injustice, and I sometimes hesitate. Jesus welcomed the little children, and sometimes I see their energy and their needs and their enthusiasm as some sort of inconvenience. And this picture starts to get a little scary to deal with, so what do we do? We just do this. And we just focus on the information and things that we can measure, which sets up this idea, and I think falsely so, that churches become just about distributing information. We, come, we become about sermons and Bible studies and book clubs, and don't get me wrong, those things are not wrong. But the goal of the Christian life is not about more information, but the goal is about our transformation. Like that Romans 12 verse says, it's about our eating and our sleeping and our walking around lives to become like Jesus. Because it is possible to be informed about Jesus without being transformed by Jesus, right? Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Galatia and he said these words, my dear children, 
for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. If you knew what was going on in the church at this time, they had all sorts of rules and regulations, and the people, they were so burdened with legalism. They were managing all the externals so that they could look good, like they could present a good front, but on the inside, they were just crumbling. And so Paul did not say to the people, you know what, until you are adequately informed about Christ— then you will be fully formed. He didn't say until you know that you can keep all the rules about Christ. He didn't say until you complete your service at the food shelf or go on a missions trip or volunteer in the church nursery, although that would be nice. He didn't even say until you clean up your act, until you've beaten that addiction, until you can keep your relationship together. Instead, Paul writes, my dear children, Do you hear the tenderness in that? My dear children. He's putting himself in this parent-like role of teaching and having authority over the church. And he says, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. I just want to pause for a second, ladies. We're just going to excuse Paul for just a moment for pretending to know that he knows anything about the pains of childbirth. Um, He wrote it, and it's in God's word. I respect that. I'm just going to have to excuse Paul for a moment. But then he says this important phrase. He says, until Christ is formed in you. Friends, that's the destination. Until Christ is formed in you, until we allow the person of Jesus Christ, until we allow him to actually shape our eating, our sleeping, our working, our talking, our texting, our typing, our studying, our driving, our shopping, our exercising, our parenting lives, there is no Christ formed in us. There's still Christ. Friends, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's still there. He's waiting on you. He's getting ready for you. He is available to you. He is still there. Later on in the book of Romans, Paul adds to this thought, the verse we read earlier, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This Greek word transformed is metamorphu, which is how we get our word metamorphosis or change from being immature to mature, or from one being to another. But oftentimes where we get stuck, friends, is how does this happen? How does this process occur? What does this look like? And a man by the name of Dallas Willard, some of you have read some of his books before, he talked about spiritual formation, and he used an acronym, VIM. VIM. It's really, you know... So VIM stands for vision. This is spiritual formation. This is how it happens. You need vision. You need intention. And you need means. You need vision, and you need intention, and you need means. So vision. everyone needs vision. They need to know where they're going. They need to know what the destination is as we think about change in our lives. 
And in the church, we think that, um, that the example, the life we're trying to model our lives after is the person of Jesus. Not only do we need vision, but we need intention, right? Like we need to actually have a point of decision that we're going to engage in this process of change. We're going to commit to a direction and move forward. And then finally, we need the means. We need the way to change. We need a method to change and community that's going to support that change. But think about it this way for just a moment. These three words are kind of like a three-legged stool. You take out one of them, and the whole thing doesn't work. The whole thing doesn't work. So for example, if we, um, if we don't have a vision, but we have a lot of intention, and we have the means to get there, what do we have? We have legalism, right? We have legalism. The car is packed. You've been meticulous about all the things you need to get ready and making sure you have everything you need. You've made a list. You've checked all the things off. But what happens? You have no clue where you're going. Like ready to roll. No clue. No clue where you're going. But if you have vision and you have a method, but you have no intention, then you're just stuck, right? There's no gas in the tank. You are not going anywhere. But Dallas Willard talks about this principle all the time. And he said, today... Today in our culture, we have a lot of people who know Jesus. They're curious about Jesus. They know the vision. They have the intention. In other words, they look around the world and they know not everything is as it should be. But they don't have the means. They don't know how. Which leads to things like frustration and bitterness and resentment. Anyone see that happening in the world around us? They have the intention, but they don't know how. And they are saying things like, don't just give me a bunch of rules. Because they know that rules only manage the externals, and they know that a deeper change is needed. And they are saying things like, do I have to show up to your church, or are you willing to meet me where I'm at? Because they know that Jesus did real life, and he talked about real life with real people. And they know that if the only transformation that occurs is the person that shows up in this building, they know that we're more complex than that. They say things like, what change have you gone through and are you willing to talk about it? Or better yet, what change are you currently in the midst of and you haven't figured out yet? Are you willing to let me see those places? If we are waiting until we're all cleaned up and shiny before we'll let others into the reality of our transformation, the difficult news is that that will never happen until we reach heaven, and then it'll be too late. The reality of a messy life that's fully devoted to Jesus is the best witness we have in our world. A friend of mine, a Christian speaker and author, Joe Saxton, um, said to me on a phone call a while back, and I've heard her say it a number of times since then, it always strikes me as true. She said, people don't need a perfect example, they need a living one. People don't need a perfect example, they need a living one. In closing this morning, um, last weekend, we had the joy of seeing our daughter, Annika, get confirmed. Wasn't that a great weekend at church? So much fun to hear from our students, and I've heard from you how much you appreciated hearing their stories. Excuse me for a minute. Um, for our crew, 
for our family, it meant that we had family in town um, that were visiting us and wanted to be a part of the celebration. And um, on top of it, I threw a bridal shower for a cousin on Saturday. So it was like this full weekend in our house as everyone was staying with us and you guys get the picture. And so we decided, Chris and I early on decided, you know, Sunday morning after the services, we are just going to hit the easy button and we're going to take everyone out for kind of a lunch, uh, a brunch buffet after the service. Everyone had been staying in our house and we did not need another opportunity to feed everyone. Um, And so off to the restaurant it was. Um, Now on a personal note, sometimes Sunday mornings get to be a little bit long. Um, Those of us who lead in the services are here pretty early in the morning. And so by the end of second service, I have the opportunity sometimes to talk with people and pray for them. And then after that, my number one goal is to get food number one goal, like service is done, like let's eat. Like my family knows this, the staff knows this, like this is the game plan. So to be honest, showing up at a restaurant and just getting a plate and like walking through and getting my food, like this was ideal, praise Jesus. Um, And so hang with me here because we finished the morning, we got our crew together and we headed to the restaurant, reservations were made, we had thought this through. And I was tired, but food was coming, relaxing with family was coming, we were going to be all good until my lovely father-in-law wanted to look at the menu. Like, how dare he? (laughs) Really, like, this was not a big deal at all. Um, But if you've just done all the things and you're tired and your emotions are riding just a little bit high, um, maybe a lot a bit high, um, you use this opportunity to get pretty short with your father-in-law. Um, we've been married 18 years. He's not getting rid of me. Um, <clears throat> and not like a loud and angry short, but just the kind where, you know, your wall goes up, your body language changes, and you just get short in your responses. Um, and I wasn't even aware that those feelings were in me until they just started coming out left and right. And so finally, the family is sitting around the table, and we have had a 20-minute conversation about the menu, right? And I am just burning up. I am just stewing about this. And so after this conversation, we, uh, we go up to finally get our lunch, and we walk by this table with this family that was also clearly celebrating something. And this little girl had on this beautiful dress, and you could tell something was going on. And she looked up at me and smiled, and so I grabbed that moment, and I bent down to her, and I said, you look so beautiful in your dress. Are you celebrating something? And she quickly looked at me through her arms up and said, I am celebrating being a follower of Jesus. And friends, I just crumbled. And I said, that's so great. And I just kept walking. (laughs) And I got in line behind my father-in-law, who had decided to get the buffet. (laughs) And I said to him, I said, "Um, I am so sorry. I said, I had expectations that I uh, didn't communicate. I just had the light just shine on my sin. Um, and, I, and we just laughed about it. He was so good-natured. Um, and, and we laughed and we filled our plates and all was well. And that could have been the end of the story. Um, but last Sunday, we walked and we left the restaurant. And we got a phone call that his only sibling, his brother, had passed away unexpectedly out in Denver. And I'm so grateful that God used that moment in my life in the buffet line to remedy my relationship with my father-in-law. 
I'm so glad he made me aware of my bad attitude and my behavior and moved me to clear things up because I was able to then love my father-in-law fully and comfort him and spend the day listening to him talk about his brother and spend time in prayer for my husband's aunt and the rest of the family as they dealt with this unexpected loss. And friends, it is just a reminder to me that our spiritual formation is for something. It's for something that these moments of growth that we choose to engage in our formation, these moments are for our good and for God's glory. But we have to choose to engage them. We have to choose to use rhythms in our life to start paying attention to what God wants to do so that when we notice them, that we'll show up and do the work and then watch God get the glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you invite us into relationship. But Father, that is just the launching point. That is just the starting point for what you long to do in our lives. Father, forgive us when we get lazy. Forgive us when we don't notice. But Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you use everyday moments? Would you use everyday opportunities to just draw us deeper in our relationship with you so that we will be more effective at telling the story of the grace and good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for who you are. We're thankful that you meet us in these places. In your name.